Welcome to Advancing All Women with Next Up. On this show, you'll hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics of the moment for women in the workplace, including key issues that affect the advancement of women, creating better workplaces for women of color, DEI and B solutions, and more. Scenario one, a woman walks into a conference room for a meeting. Already at the table are two men deep in a discussion of last night's football game. And as more men enter, they join in the sports talk. Well, that woman, she's not really a football fan. So she waits patiently for the conversation to turn to business. Scenario two. Colleagues are talking about a new plum assignment that has come open. And when a woman's name is mentioned, a man says, oh, she can't take that. She has two little kids. Scenario three, it's Bagel Tuesday and the catered platters are wrapped in the center of the conference table. Men enter the room, but nobody touches the food. It's a cellophane standoff. Well, that standoff lingers until a woman arrives and unwraps the breakfast. So if you were a woman in any of these situations, you may be feeling a whiff of gender bias, but not sure if or how to react. Or you could be a co-worker who witnesses a slight and would like to be an ally. Or you're the boss and you came up and you came up in a time when all of these issues were discussed and debated and supposedly addressed and all you would do is roll your eyes and think really still well what do you do well fear not today our podcast we're going to have a conversation that answers these questions And you're going to hear from two of the incredible six C-suite women who authored You Should Smile More, How to Dismantle Gender Bias in the Workplace. Well, these amazing six women, and you're just going to be humbled by this, they have a collective resume that covers 29 industries from large corporations to small startups. They're all PepsiCo alumni, and they worked at PepsiCo between the late 80s and 2016, overlapping there for more than a decade. And they've gone on to collect operating experience in such brands as the NFL, Keurig, Equinox, ESPN, BlackRock, just to name a few. And they are titans in the boardrooms, their industry advisors, and their executive coaches. So again, in our podcast, we're going to discuss You Should Smile More, and it's a book about these workplace offenses that many of us didn't know matter. It's those small indignities, it's barriers, it's slights, you know, many of them unconscious that women face every day in the corporate workplace. They're not Me Too moments, but they're not nothing either. They are those particles that collect around us and create barriers to our careers. I call them the paper cuts, the death by, you know, a million paper cuts. They're the walls that go up one grain of sand at a time. And they're those moments that slow build until that what becomes an unwelcome environment burns us out, right? And we all as women disengage. So you're going to get a guide today for women and men. So be prepared. 
I am Sarah Alter, your host of our podcast, Advancing All Women and CEO and President of Next Up. And I am joined by just the absolutely amazing, incredible um, Lori Marcus and C. Nicholson. Welcome to you both and cannot thank you enough for being here today. So please tell our audience about yourselves. Yeah, I'll start. Hi, everybody. I'm Lori Marcus coming to you from the New York area. And my quick background, as Sarah mentioned, uh, spent a long time, some would say a lifetime at PepsiCo. I was there for 24 years. That was my chapter one. I had a chapter two as a chief marketing officer in uh, more direct to consumer and e-commerce industries. And now I'm about six years into a portfolio career where I serve on corporate boards, both public and private. I do executive coaching uh, of C-suite executives, and I'm a founding member of the Band of Sisters. And, and I'll go next. My name is C. Nicholson. Um, I was at PepsiCo for 11 years, and I, uh, I was the chief market officer there. Um, after Pepsi, I was the CMO for Equinox, uh, the fitness company, did that for a couple of years. And then I was the CMO for uh, uh, in the fintech space for a company that eventually got bought by Google. Cool. Um, I, I've been on, uh, I've been doing some board work. I've been a, on a publicly traded insurance company board since 2009. Still on that. I love that. Um, I do some advising for um, a variety of startups. Um, my, I uh, then the other thing that I I do. I'm, I'm my mother's uh, Sherpa. My 93 year old mother lives across <laughs> the hall from me in Manhattan, and uh, so um, I'm I'm heavily involved in her in her care, which is uh, rewarding. And then also my the thing that I'm most interested about me is I do handstands all over the world. I have a goal to do 20 years of handstands. I started when I in 2015 and I'm going to go until 2035. So I'm like eight years in. And so I'll be 70 when I'm done. And uh, so I, you can follow me on Instagram. It's, it's just my name, C.I. Nicholson. And uh, so that's my that's my that's my most interesting thing, sadly. Okay, see, you had hidden that gem from us. Yeah, well, you know, I like to. I like to surprise it. Yeah. All right. So now, how long do you have to hold the handstand? Because I don't think I could do a handstand with a gun to my head. I well, am so impressed. You know, they're, they're not. It's not that long. When you take a picture, you know, it's it's, it's hard. You know, it's gonna probably yeah. you know. But it's you know, but they're definitely handstands. But you know, you know, it's not like I'm walking across the country. Yeah. Oh uh, no. So. <laughs> Okay, so I've been excited by all of our our podcasts oh and and all of our guests, but I I have been the most excited for this conversation. And it, and it as you all heard, it's the band of sisters. And having, you know, gotten to spend some great time with both Lori and C already, there's this like genuine bond and friendship and relationship that that has existed you know, both personally and professionally with you and the other four women. And I, and I just, I love it. Oh my God. May everybody have that blessing, you know, in their lives, but let's, let's start diving into the book. And, and what I, what I love about it is you, you frame it so nicely and that it's, it's just these small, you know, microaggressions missteps most people may call it right oh i just need to be better educated but it all adds up right and 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 what i love and and if you haven't read this book yet make sure you get it and read it but c and Lori are going to walk us through some some moments some of these moments that you know create that microaggression you know that really undermine you know women to be successful and and shockingly, in, in a couple of them, they you know I've seen them happen as recently as like a week or a month ago. Still, 
But Lori, I know you're going to take it away. Yeah. Yeah. So let me jump in. So um, C and I are here today, but you'll hear us over the course of the next little bit. We're going to highlight and reference stories from the other four sisters. So um, you'll hear us reference Katie Lacey, Angelique Belmer-Krems, Don Hudson, and Mitzi Short. Uh, so uh, not all of the uh, not all of the anecdotes are uh, from us, but <clears throat> let me begin where it all started. So first thing I should say is we didn't set out to write a book. Uh, about four years ago, we were having a fun dinner, uh, kind of a very intimate dinner, about six or seven of us with Indra Nui, who had just retired uh, mm-hmm. as the CEO and chair of the board of PepsiCo. And while we're at dinner, we were, um, I was talking about, I don't know how it came up, I, how I had been one of the um, founding members of the first Women's Resource Network back in 1993. Love and I know that. there's people that are listening to this podcast that weren't alive back in 1993. Um, <laughs> and so we, uh, so somehow that got us talking about um, this notion that even though um, there were a lot of women in the workplace, and certainly we worked in headquarter marketing roles, uh, five of the six of us did, where uh, certainly there were a lot of professional women. But we got to talking about um, that there were other places where women were not represented, certainly in, you know, in field yeah. sales and operations and supply chain. So that was one thing. But we also got to talking about these little moments, these little things that made us feel like we didn't fully belong. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means and give some examples of that. Mm-hmm. So actually, so going to examples, one of them is actually the name of the book is You Should Smile More. And actually, Katie, Katie, one of our sisters, was one of the ones that had actually suggested that as the title. And she had the experience. She had a job coming out of Pepsi at where she was at a very senior role. And she felt like she was doing very well. And she was getting her review. And her review was great. But one of the points in there was... Um, she was told that she should smile more. And so it's like, she wasn't sure like what to do with that in a performance review. Like, what did that mean? So that was very confusing for her to be told you should smile more in a, re- in a, in a review. Yeah. So while Katie was being told that she should smile more, this is Lori. I was told that I should smile less. Um, so think about that. I had been promoted through the organization. I was also fairly senior at this point. And I think largely the reason that I had been successful, I'd love to think I was some sort of marketing genius, but it was really about (laughs) being a leader, being somebody that people wanted to follow, creating amazing culture. And part of that is just being really accessible, caring about your people, being, you know, somebody that people cared about you. And I was, I was very accessible and very warm. And I felt like I really brought myself full self to work. And there I was literally being told that I should smile less, be less friendly and be less accessible to my team. And I know the person who said it, said it from a place where they thought they were being helpful. But the question that I would throw out is like, what the heck do you do with something like that? Like, it's just, it's like helpful, not helpful. (laughs) and Also not very specific. (laughs) So that uh, it's a really difficult thing. No, I, Lori, you and I are, you and I are kindred spirits. I was at a financial services institution and in my review, I got told, uh, you wear too bright a colors. So I guess I know what I can do with that. Yeah. And this was by a male boss, but the second very similar to yours was, uh, you're too motherly. You're too nice. And it, it just, yeah, like that, that was kind of that crowning moment where I'm like, 
hey, look, you know what? If I want to wear, you know, purple velvet pants, I'm gonna, you know, and if I want to be nice to people, I'm gonna, but I, I totally can relate. Yeah. I didn't last very long after there. I quit. <laughs> well, one of the other sisters that isn't, isn't with us on this call today is uh, Mitzi Short, who's an African-American female. And and any of these micro moments that we felt, you can imagine uh, they're more pronounced yeah. for, for, for people of color. So she, so Mitzi went through her career um, and, um, but she had a very visible difference in skin color. I went through my career with an invisible difference. I was a closeted lesbian. So I felt like that added a whole other layer of kind of not feeling completely included, not being able to bring your whole whole set of self to work. But so we're going to go through more examples, but, you know, and there's plenty of examples that, you know, in the book, we talk about 31, there's, there's, you know, unfortunately, there's probably 300, but we highlight 31 of them. Um, but all, you know, with everything that we're going to say, all the six of us made it through the gauntlet. We made it to the C-suite. We're now sitting in the boardroom. And so, you know, we, we, we made it and, um, we wanted to, we, but we were still shocked. We, this stuff was still happening. And we wanted to see, was this just something that was happening with our generation? So we went out and did primary research with hundreds of younger women because we wanted to see if that was still happening today. So anything that we talk about um, or in the book or today is something that's been validated with younger women and it's still happening. So knowing that, we started thinking, what could we do? We have to figure out how to make some progress in this area because it's still happening. And, and just to sort of wrap that, that up, Sarah, you had talked earlier a little bit about this, but the, the crux of the matter is that these like these walls of gender inequity, they're not built by, by like a huge moment. Something happens. They're mm-hmm. built like, you know, you talked about like, you know, death by a thousand cuts or it's like big, you know, um, just brick by brick. Like each brick can seem too small to mention, but over time, these bricks, like they build up and they build walls. And there's a lot of research on it. And I would say there's some beautiful academic research that we were lucky to be able to read and to cite. But most of what we found was there wasn't anything practical that talked about, okay, we agree this is an issue. What do you do about it? And that's kind of what we'll talk about for the rest of our time today. I mean, that's kind of the crux of the matter is we can agree that these things happen, but what we wanted to do, and we're all operating executives by background, we're not Mm -hmm. academics. And so what we wanted to do was get like super practical and super specific what you can do, you know, in the moment, typically in a meeting, but not always, you know, in the moment, after the moment, or maybe before the next moment happens. And in the audience we're talking to, we don't. This is not another thing for women to solve. Another thing yet, right? So we 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 give examples and give solutions for women, but we also there's three audiences: women that are happening, you know, experiencing the micro moments. There are leaders; it could be any gender, mm-hmm. and, and they have the incentive to want to have a more inclusive team because a more inclusive team is a more productive team. So leaders. Um, of any gender and then allies and again of any gender because more often than not that's the biggest group you're a witness you're in the room I mean one of the examples that you cited initially you're in the room when they say hey Lori would be great for this job out in LA but her husband's a hedge fund guy yeah so Lori doesn't get on the slate you're sitting in the room you can speak up and say you know what you might be right but you know we you know we put Bob on the slate and his wife's so a, a big lawyer and that didn't seem to dissuade us so let's ask Lori you know like what do you do when you're when to be an ally and and that's the actually the biggest group you're a witness so those are the three audiences yeah and and to give full credit where credit is due you know 
most of what I shared was a morsel from the intro <laughs> on this book. So if you enjoyed that, you know, you know, you're going to enjoy the whole book. It's so funny because you just made me think of, I was at one of my first board meetings. I was a first time CEO when I joined new, which is now next up. And there was some confusion and like, there weren't enough, you know, place settings at the table and, Long story short, I was raised by a mom who had a catering company. So I grew up like I was a waitress, right? I served, you know, I cleared, I did dishes, you name it, right? Mm -hmm. And so my immediate instinct was like, oh, well, you know, let's help out the people so we can get it all out quickly so everybody can start eating and then we can start the meeting. So I, of course, jump up from my chair and start helping and one of our incredible board members, Regina Stein, I'll never forget this. She gets up, slowly walks over, pulls me over into the corner so no one can hear. And she leans over and she said, you're the CEO. Act like a CEO. There are people who can take care of this and they will. And the rest of us will help out. But the CEO should be leading the meeting, not setting the table. And I just like <laughs> looked at her and I'm like, ah, you know. <laughs> but it, it just, I was falling into that trap, right? Yes. Like, you know, we're, we're also taught just do whatever it takes to get the job done. Yet yes. we also learned that doesn't work either, you know, but yeah, no. There was, yeah. Actually, there was a story that one, one of our friends who works in the ad agency business, which actually were the cellophane standoff happened and she noticed she was on the account team um, and of course, if you're an advertising agency, you're very service oriented, they have the client. Yeah. And there's a pair of plate of bagels there. And 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 she was on the account team. She was the most junior, and they were everyone else was was men. And so the client was coming in. She's like, oh my gosh, that just looked very inviting. So she goes over, she pulls the cellophane off. And then it was a couple of years later, and she was on the account team, but now she was the middle person, you know, she wasn't the most junior. And a client was coming in, and all of a sudden she thought, oh my gosh, again, this doesn't look very inviting. So she goes right. over. Peels off the off the cell phone, and then it was many you know years later after that, and now she is the most senior person on the on the client team, and she looks over and the the bagels again she they're covered with cell phone, and she's like again this doesn't look very inviting for our client that came in, so she once again went over there and she's like oh my gosh I was the most junior person like if I, if I didn't do this the bagels would still be wrapped she's like what you know that was her like eureka of, like it didn't matter initially she thought well I'm just the junior G man which is what a lot of women actually. Right. If they go into it for years thinking, well, this just makes sense because I'm the most junior. And it takes them a while to realize it's actually probably more, you know, more gendered than it is, is uh, you know, yeah. tenure. Yeah. yeah. But Sarah, I love your example because to C's point, I think what happens is it's like a frog, you know, in the boil the water boiling, like you don't even realize it, right? So we heard this a lot. We did the research that a lot of women think the reason that they're being asked to take the notes or whatever they're doing, they're cleaning up from the meeting, they're you know, ordering the flowers for, you know, secretary's day or whatever, they think it's because they're junior. And then you don't realize like all of a sudden you're, you know, 42 years old, you're a vice president, whatever. And you're not at all the most junior anymore, but you haven't given up those tasks. And what I loved about mm -hmm. your story, Sarah, was the person who pulled you aside, who pointed it out to you. And it sounds like in a very productive way. Oh, and, and that's part of what right people of any gender can do. They can pull you aside and say, hey, I know you're doing this just to be helpful, but you know, the bagel platter is a perfect example, the cellophane standoff, where you can just say when someone points that out to you and go, okay, clients are going to be here in 10, you know, in 10 minutes. Ted, can you unwrap the bagel platter? 
you know, Jimmy, can you go, there's no cream for the coffee. Can you go do that? And then Lisa, can you go down to the front lobby so that when the client comes, everyone's there. I mean, you can sort of use the job wheel approach to spread the work out a little bit, but sometimes what you're Holly did is the most important part, which is mm-hmm. just to bring it into consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. No. And she, you know, she did it so subtly, nobody noticed. And, and mm-hmm. she, yeah, no, it, it, um, Virginia Stein and Maureen McGurl like coached me in that first year when I was a brand new CEO and just would not be where I'm at today without them. So thank you. If you're listening, <laughs> I love that. Love them love both. Just send them a copy of the book. Uh, um. You know what? Done. Consider it done. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So give us more like mm-hmm. moments and examples because to your point, I love the, the, the team wheel, like the task wheel, like, mm-hmm. Hey, everybody yeah. pitch in. And then we always yeah. expect it. You know, well, of course we should yeah. all pitch in, but I love those those exactly. tips. Give us more. <laughs> yeah. So we'll give a few examples. One thing I just wanted to um, point out before we'll go through them really quickly is, so, you know, we're marketers by background. So of course, what we did was we tried to make these moments really easy to recognize and easy to talk about, and then be able to call more more. more people in of all genders to take action. So what you'll see, we'll reference it today. If you have the book in front of you, it'd be more um, obvious as we gave them sort of, you know, clever names, just so there's a handle because language, you know, words matter. And it's Mm -hmm. easier to talk about something if you can just kind of give it a handle. And then in the book, you'll see we have kind of fun illustrations that that bring it to life. So um, I'll let's see, why don't you jump in with the first one? Well, before, actually, before I get to the first one, and because of the fact that, again, giving them uh, handles for people to talk about, we're hoping people talk about it. Because up until this point, people don't talk about it because people think they're too small to bring up. When they say, Lori, will you take the notes? She doesn't. Does she really want to be like, is that big of a deal if I bring it up? Will I seem like a pain in the ass? Blah, blah, blah. So everyone just thinks like, you know, all these different slights. You're like, well, was it that big a deal? I took the the, the cellophane off the of the bagels and I'm always a person to do it. And so you, each one, you, 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 you know, minimize. And then here we are 30 years later talking about it. So anyway, so one of the, one of the ones that I think everyone's going to re- relate to is called great idea, Greg. So the scenario was in, you're in a meeting and and it, you, you have an idea and you bring it up and the conversation kind of goes past that. And then you kind of move on 10 minutes later, somebody call him Greg says basically the same idea. And then it starts getting some momentum and then people go on from there and have the conversation. And so, and so women's ideas are often, you know, not recognized. And so that's one of the top reasons that women kind of disengage is they don't feel heard. And so if you look at all the research, not being heard is huge. So this is a great place where an ally or a boss can help. Because if all of a sudden mm-hmm. somebody, I remember Lori brought up that idea, the conversation went on, 10 minutes later, Greg says something and you're whatever, and he, the idea gets momentum. Somebody could be like, yeah, that's interesting. Lori, like, go back to what you were saying, or Lori, you had brought up a good point, or without having to say, hey, you stole her idea. I mean, is there a simple way that you could go ahead and bring it back to the person that said it? And and just, it's just, well, huge. But this great idea, Greg, is something that we hear all the time. And now people are saying, oh, I get great idea, Greg, all the time. You know, so it's kind of, it's an easy handle. So that's one example that I think, I don't think there's a woman alive that can't relate to great oh, idea, Greg. Completely, completely. 
And then um, I'll give one other, which is um, a group of things that um, we refer to as lazy language. And this is typically when you're hiring people or you're talking about who's going to get promoted. And there's these really nonspecific terms that people say. They say things like, oh, she's just not a good fit. Um, or when you're talking about if someone is going to get elevated to a new role and they'll say, you know, I don't know, she's just too emotional. And they're super nonspecific in this kind of negative way, but yeah. they just go out there in the ether and then they just like stay there and, and they become fact. They go from sort of this weird, vague opinion to fact. And then on the other side of it is this um, also very nonspecific, but in a grandizing way, which is the old, uh, he's a great guy. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, Jimmy. Yeah. He's a great guy. And it's super not specific. It's not like he's a great lawyer. He's a great sales executive. He's a great podcast host. It's just, he's a great guy. Um, it's kind of, they always say, it's like, oh, I know him from Chode or I know him from Sigma Chi. So the thing on here that I'll say is on all of these kind of vague languages, whether they're positive or negative is just remember SBI, situation, behavior, impact. And this works for anyone, whether you're the person that someone is saying it to you or if yeah. you're in the room yeah. of any gender or if you're the boss, you just say, she's too emotional. You know, you can say, say more about that or say more words, or you can say, hey, can you um, talk to me about what was the situation? When did, what did you see? What was the behavior that you, um, that you saw? And then most importantly, what was the impact? So the yeah. whole idea, if you get people talking Typically, you'll get to the heart of the matter. They may realize they're being sort of um, not specific in a bad way. But occasionally what you realize is there might be a there there, especially if it's about yourself or someone that you're mentoring. There might be a blind spot there that you didn't realize in terms of the impact. So situation behavior impact, impact. is a really good that. example. And ne you're exactly yeah. like, never forget the impact because that's really the important part of it. Yeah, no, situation, behavior, impact. Yeah, because I find sometimes I'll try to, hey, can you give me an example to your point? Uh -huh. You know, because yeah, it could yeah. be a one-off. And, exactly. you know, we all have bad days. You just can't have mm -hmm. a lot of them. Yeah, all right. Exactly. So, okay. So we so um, have to take a quick commercial break. Um, but hang in there, everybody, because we're going to keep giving you a couple more examples. And then we're going to move into... Okay, you know, here are six things that you should be doing to make sure that this, and I use the number six, I hope that's the right number. If we have more, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> but um, but we're going to guide you. And so, you know, what are, what are some of those things you can take away right now and do? Um, so thank you um, for listening to our Advancing All Women podcast. We're just going to be back in a couple of minutes. For over 20 years, Next Up has been bringing professional women, allies, and corporate partners together to champion gender equity and advance all women in their careers. Together, we are a powerful, growing community of over 14,000 members and 300-plus regional and corporate sponsors. We work to create leadership opportunities, amplify women's voices in the workplace, and ensure that all women in business can seize opportunities in the now and and in the next, members of Next Up gain access to a broad community of like-minded professionals dedicated to women's equity and leadership development across our 21 regional communities, get best-in-class leadership development opportunities, and attend our two annual national conferences, which bring together the strongest minds in DEI&B and leadership. Join Next Up today. 
Visit nextupisnow.org slash membership to learn more about becoming a member. That's nextupisnow.org slash membership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Want to learn more about the show and about Next Up? Visit our website at nextupisnow.org. That's nextupisnow.org. Now, back to Advancing All Women. Welcome back to Advancing All Women with your host, Sarah Alter. Today, we are talking to two of the six authors and members of the Band of Sisters. And this incredible book that they have written and and just went live this past fall is You Should Smile More. Let's dive into more of the micro actions that all of us can be taking to better support women in the workplace against the microaggressions that sadly still continue to happen. But um, Lori Marcus and C. Nicholson, again, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Let's dive into one of those other examples. Yeah. So this is Lori. I'll jump in again. So um, there's a Um, an example that we call father of the year. And this is basically we've all experienced, which is, you know, John has to leave at four o'clock on Wednesdays because he's coaching uh, his son or daughter soccer team. And everyone in the office is like, oh my God, he's such a good dad. He's coaching his daughter's soccer team. Like, oh, (laughs) and when I say everyone in the office, I really mean everybody. I mean, women are just as guilty as men of um, of doing this. And then, you know, same thing, um, you know, Janet uh, comes in late on Wednesday morning because her daughter had a dent- dental issue and she had to take her daughter to the dentist. And we're like, mm, how committed really is Janet? So there's this weird, um, you know, kind of double standard that exists. And like I said, this is really not germane to men who are doing this. Women do it as well. And so I think like most things, the first thing here is this kind of father of the year, like giving men a trophy. Uh, while, you know, we're just expecting this of women, I think the first thing here for everyone to remember is, so be aware of it. And if Mm -hmm. to the extent that you can kind of stop doing it, um, that's just a generally, uh, you know, kind of a good thing to do. But one of the sort of tricks as we went through all this and we did all the interviews is just like a simple hack that you can always do, which is, I'm not saying you should screen yourself, you know, you, you want to like not be able to say anything at work, but just always be conscious as you're about to say something for a man would you say the same thing for a woman? And if you wouldn't, maybe just Mm -hmm. think twice about it. And that's a very kind of a simple hack that you can use across a lot of these different situations, which leads me, I'm going to ask C to (laughs) do her favorite one next. Yeah. So that's a great segue into my favorite chapters. Who's the new girl? So this is all around gendered language. (laughs) (laughs) And and Gerwin in particular (laughs) is that, that is just one of my hot buttons when women are called girls and you hear it all the time people will be mm-hmm. like hey, we met the new girl in accounting we just hired a new girl out of Yale and they just you just would never say it the other way no one says we just hired a new boy out of accounting have you met the new boy <laughs> out of Yale I mean you can't actually occasionally ask but you try to say that you know 
throw back at them and they can't say without laughing because it's funny. So, you know, you could think it's not a big deal, but like words set the tone. Um, if we think our male colleagues that think of their female colleagues as girls are going to think of them in the next, in as a sweet, sweet, C-sweet candidate, I think we're kidding ourselves. Words do matter. Um, they do. So the word girl is, is, is one, but there are many gendered words and many of the ones for men are more positive, uh, ballsy, uh, gentleman's agreement, manpower, man up. Women, a lot of time, they're more negative. It's Debbie, Debbie Downer, throw like a girl, you know, diva. So you, I think we have to be very aware. And it's that same thing that Lori said. If you wouldn't say it about a man, you shouldn't say it about a woman. That it's, oh God, that's so true. And it, 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 like one of the things that I've been struggling the most with is, hey, you guys, like literally, I, I'm I'm not kidding you. I, I cannot, I grew up in the Midwest, so I just can't get it out of my vocabulary. I literally went yeah. and bought it. I bought a t-shirt that I saw in a, a gift store in a Southern airport. It says y'all. So I'm trying, my, my yes. kids, you know, my kids who are in college are like, just say y'all mom. That's what, you know, or say yes. team or, but it's, it's, it's exactly what you said. See, the other thing, and I remember hearing this years back, but in the political world, you never hear somebody refer to, you know, the male leader by their first name. It's typically their oh. first and last name or their last name. But the mm -hmm. female, it's the first name, right? Yes. Like you think about it, Trump. And Hillary, right? During that campaign. Right. Now it's Joe Biden, you know, and if it is uh -huh. Joe, it's in a very derogatory way. And I'm not getting political, <laughs> very neutral, no, very no. neutral. No, no. But, yeah, but, that but it reminded me of that, right? Yeah, we have stories that we oh, talked yeah. to women that were doctors and they would say that they were, that they would be referred oh. to as Jane or Dr. Jane. And somebody else would be, it'd be Dr. Smith was her male counterpart. So it'd be Dr. Smith and Jane. Or doctor totally. and it totally. was just like it was just you know the, the the on and on and on and on many examples so yeah it's like it's <laughs> it makes it makes a difference yeah so. we, um i love your example sarah i feel like, like the question we always get asked when we do live uh you know presentations at at big companies we always get asked about the you guys thing comes up all the time. Yeah. And I'm from New Jersey. So you guys is just like, it's like the first words that you learn to say aloud. I know. I, I, know. I, I try. I mean, now I'm so conscious of it. So I notice on TV, I mean, people say it on TV. Like I was yeah. watching like, you know, Gail King or whatever the CBS show. And they said it the other day, like, it's just people say it all the time. And what I always say, and I also, I lived in Atlanta for two years. So y'all, all y'all, like it comes off the tongue a little bit easier than for people who I think haven't lived in the South. But here's what I always say on that topic, and I'm not a linguist and I'm not an expert in this area, but what I always say is, I I think if you guys is just part of your vernacular and it is for a lot of people, you know, one thing that you can just say, especially when you're working in small teams, is just tell people, hey, I sometimes say you guys, I don't say it in a gendered way, but is that right. something, to, does that, right. like, is that like, ugh, nails on a chalkboard to you or you don't even notice it or whatever, just give me a sense because I can try really hard not to say it and say team or say y'all. And sometimes what you'll hear is three people from New Jersey saying, I couldn't possibly care less if you said you guys right. or not. Right. But what I say to everyone is like, have that conversation, you know, um, try to use something that isn't, you know, technically gendered. But my big thing on you guys, what I say to everyone is 
I will allow you to use you guys when you're using it in a mixed gender group, but you have to promise to give up from your vocabulary. He's a great guy because there is no female equivalent back to the sort of the, you know, he's a great guy. Give me the female equivalent for that. And it's not, she's a great gal because it's not 1950. We don't say that. Right. And so my point is instead of saying he's a great guy, just say what you really want to say. He's a, you know, really, really good M&A lawyer. And he happens to also be a quality person or he's a really, really strong sales executive. And he also has a really big heart. That's fine. You can find the female equivalent for that. But my kind of personal plea, what I want to have on my T-shirt is stop saying he's a great guy because it doesn't mean anything. So that's my I'm like a one issue voter. Sees a one issue voter. I stop saying stop calling women girls. And I am a one issue voter on stop saying he's a great guy because it doesn't mean anything. It's like, wah, wah, wah. all right. So what? OK, so let me throw this one out there. Um, she's a badass. What are your thoughts on that? Because I've heard that used to, to your point, Lori, like he's a great guy. You know, she's a badass. What are your thoughts on that? Sometimes it might depend on context. I mean, like, yeah, you know, I mean, like is, 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 um, so I guess without, without context, it's kind of hard to know. I guess it's, um, I mean, it's okay. We, we got, we had many different stories from younger women that when people would say that, that people would try to give them compliments, like, oh my gosh, you, you'd be, uh, she's such a, she's so good. She, she's a, she's, she's a shark. You're not going to see it coming, but she's a shark basically kind of on the, on the sales side. And basically they, it, felt like they were saying like she looks timid and sh- cute and whatever you'd expect ne- never expect her to be good at her job but surprise if she's a badass comes across as that like you wouldn't expect this person to be good and she is then i think it's i think it's you know so it's probably more negative because it's probably it's probably that you're yeah. right because it's 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 overkill right because it's exactly. it's we're assuming you know, because mm-hmm. you've heard the she eats nails for breakfast too, right? Like okay. it's it's overkill because the assumption is yeah. she's a female, so she won't be as successful. So, oh my God, you know, that's yeah. a great point. See, yeah, yeah. and and Sarah, I, I want to add something there. You had, I think, you had said something earlier about that you were told you were too motherly or whatever. So, oh yeah, I would, <laughs> so I would state for the record that I, as much as people can bring as much of their full self to work. Um, mm-hmm. as possible. I think that's great. Um, a while ago, very long time ago, there was the book Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Um, and, and I would say in general, yeah, I like the idea that there's kind of things that are more traditionally, you know, you see them in women or more traditionally you see them in men. They're not exclusive to men and women. We'll call, I'll call them like feminine process or masculine process. We each have some of them. And to the extent that you can bring a lot of your natural strengths to the workplace, I think that's great. So to the extent that like being motherly or a synonym, synonym of that might be like mm-hmm. caring, right? Mm-hmm. Um, being intuitive to people's needs. Like, I think that's a strength. So I don't, I don't think that you should have to sort of like, you know, not do that. Like if being sort of caring, you know, AKA motherly is helpful, as long as you can also be tough about making people decisions, Mm -hmm. tough about business decisions, nothing wrong with being, I'll call motherly caring. I think what I get um, kind of crazy about is some of these things there, I think people mean them to be a compliment, but they can end up, I think, just not being so great. So one of the examples is like girl boss. And I was like, 
again, you Mm. you forget the fact that it has the word girl in it for a minute, which I know C can't forget, but it's also the notion of like just a boss maybe. So I would say on most of these things, I want people to bring as much of their full selves to work as they can, including some very traditional feminine process kinds of things. But I, I, again, when in doubt, I always just say, maybe if we each just thought about what would I say to a man, what would I say to a woman and try to less have like an entire vernacular that is just used to describe women executives or, you know, women senior executives Um, because I think around the edges, some of that stuff is just not productive, even if it comes from a really good place in someone's heart. Absolutely. The, um, you want, you want to go through a couple more? Sure. All right. So a little deeper on on this one. One of our chapters is, is be like Bill. And this is all about men are kind of better at maybe speaking up for themselves, pumping themselves up, whatever. And women are in general are not, or sometimes have, are, are, can use are not as good at this. So with the research we show that women screen themselves out often, whether it's applying for jobs, taking an assignment, asking for a raise, seeking promotion, they just assume they'll look at requirements, they'll look at 10 requirements and they'll be like, gosh, I only I have you know, eight of the 10, I don't, you know, they, but I don't have all 10. Men can look at that same list and say, I have four of the 10, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go mm-hmm. forward. So I think that the, you know, women are more likely to view lists are is, is like rules and men are just kind of more like suggestions. So I think there's many times that, that men do a better job of putting themselves out there. And in some cases, getting noticed for jobs, you have to be more of a self-promoter. And in general, I think women sometimes are more, maybe more humble, more like less likely to kind of speak up or less comfortable in that environment to do that. So this whole thing of be like Bill, we think is actually something that women should do. Mm-hmm. It, we had a podcast Gosh, many, many podcasts back, but we had a, a couple of incredible um, female leaders of color and they threw out there, what would a white man do? Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. So exactly. it's that same version. Be like Bill. Yeah. 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 You know, the uh, WWJD, what I get, which I think was originally, what would Jesus do? Like when you're trying to think about, uh, you know, what like, I had never, like a better person. Yeah. 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 I'm not, I'm not Christian, but I think that's a thing anyway. And our version of that is, you know, what would Josh do? And it doesn't mean that Josh is like an idiot. It's just like, what would Josh like kind of like your average, you know, talented, nice white guy. What would he do in that situation? And Mm -hmm. he probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be worried about being too humble or wouldn't be worried about, you know, asking for the raise that he thought he deserved or, you know, at the end of the year advocating for a good review and I think, you know, what we're learning in, in all these situations is women aren't crazy. They're not, um, they're not making this stuff up. They've been trained like in society um, mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. because we know the research suggests, right, women get promoted based on like actual accomplishments and men tend to get promoted based on potential. Back to the, like, he's a great guy thing. You're sort of like attributing mm-hmm. all this future success. And so the fact yeah. is, I think, Many of us have been trained to be sort of humble, not brag or whatever. So I realized this. I was totally a victim of what C was saying. Um, I know when I grew up at Pepsi, we had the, you know, sort of every year you had your, um, we called it a T-chart, like your strengths, your development needs. And then out of that came your development plan for the year. And I don't know who taught me. I mean, we were, it's a learning culture. So we were really trained 
to be very focused on learning and growing and all of that. So I would go into my year in self-assessment and I would always talk about all the things that I'm going to learn and grow and do better at and all of that. And I was so focused on like the development side of it that I always shortchanged like what I had done in my accomplishments. And I was lucky enough before, you know, while still kind of growing in my career, somebody pointed this out to me and he, it was a, a male boss. And he said like, Stop talking about all the ways that you're going to do better and stop for a minute and talk about what you did so well this year. And again, it was like you talked about earlier, Sarah, that gift when someone says it to you in a really productive way. So my um, my recommendation here, and this is true for most executive coaching, which is when you're trying to work on a, any kind of a development need, you try and lean on your strengths, right? So you're not kind of doing it while on quicksand. So in this case, one of my strengths is like, I'm very organized. I'm kind of an over-preparer. And so what I would do after I was given this advice is whenever I went into a year-end review or a one-on-one session where I was going to talk about advocating for myself, I literally would have on a piece of paper typed up on top of my folio, all of my accomplishments or my kind of my, um, my case typed out about why I thought I was ready for that next role or why I thought I should get an above target review. And it was literally written there in front of me so that I couldn't just ignore it. And so again, I, what I found was took me a while, but learned to lean on my towering strength of being prepared Mm -hmm. and organized to help advocate for myself and not leave it to chance. Good advice. Early in my career, I was totally not like Bill, especially in the kind of the uh, promotion salary arena. Um, I remember I, out of graduate school, uh, my first job, I, I think I was making $42,000 a year. And I before that, I was making like $4.10 a year at a bike shop. So I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And I remember calling my mom. I'm like, if I never, ever get a raise again, I will be happy. I was so excited. <laughs> And then I did well. And after my first year, I got a I got a, a raise. I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. And the next year after that, I was like got a promotion and then I was bonus eligible. I'm like, this is amazing. And as time went on, I'm realizing like how excited I was. And all my male peers were like pissed that they were like the sellers weren't big enough, the promotions weren't didn't come fast enough, just whatever it was, yeah. they were disappointed on timing or quantity or and and I was also I realized like I should be more in a respectful way more like that. I made it very easy when the bosses had to figure out, hey, we only have this much money to go around. Be like, you know, let's give C three percent this year, and let's give you know Greg five because Greg might quit, or let's like let's have C develop a right. place because she's such an eager beaver and so happy, mm-hmm. and Greg might quit. So I feel like I made it very easy to be able to you know be fair but not over the top with me. And I feel like I wish I would have been more in a respectful way, you know, a more, more, um, you know, more demanding versus always just like, this is awesome. This is awesome. And I think the other mistake I made is if I ever had any comparison with other people, I talked to the other women. So relative to Lori, I was doing fine, but relative to Greg, I was not. So my, my, my benchmark was off. Which that's like the beauty of today is Google it. Right. 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 Like you can, you know, you can, you can get the facts and, but that's, that's such a great point. See, you're right. Yeah. We were back there with four pigeons. So there was no Google. I know. Me too. (laughs) Me too. Oh yeah. (laughs) We're we're not going to share any dates or years or no, no, no. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Sarah, do you want us to go through one more example? I think we have time to do one more. 
Yeah, do one more, and then I okay. definitely right. want to get into that like list of six yeah. that you included because I think that's going to be so helpful for everybody. So yeah, fire so away. Can, yeah. We can skim through this one. So there's another one of my favorite chapters in the book. It's called Not Just Mentors, Get Sponsors. And the first thing on this is you have to be aware of the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think there's a role. There's a role for coaches. There's a role for mentors. And there's a role for sponsors. But you really do need um, all three. And a sponsor is somebody that, and I, I've seen people misuse them and they sort of just glom them all together. Like, oh yeah, I know somebody's mentoring me, but I'm going to focus specifically on sponsors for the next few minutes. And a sponsor is somebody who can actively advocate. They can, um, they can advocate for you. They have power and they can and will use their power to help you, especially when you're not in the room. They're the people that are in the room when they're talking about who's going to get promoted or who's going to get the plum assignments. And everybody needs to have people that sponsor them in the organization. And um, sometimes, you know, women, I think, have been socialized and trained that, you know, we talked before about not love, a lot of women don't love self-promotion. And so I think we've been mistakenly trained that our work is just going to speak for itself. And the reality of it is that's just not true. And then, you know, the other thing that we're finding that complicates this a little bit is after the whole like Me Too movement, um, some men will, you know, they'll say like, oh, I don't know if I can mentor a woman because I can't like have a one-on-one meeting with her. Mm-hmm. I would parenthetically say there's a lot of, there's a lot of crap there. Um, and oh, I think yeah. there's a lot of, excu- a lot of excuses feel free Mm -hmm. to have a breakfast meeting in the cafeteria. Like there is just, there is just no worry about that. But what I would say is what I'd ask everybody to take away is your work. You do have to do good work, but on a Maslow's hierarchy, that's just the minimum viable product. You have to do excellent work, but it doesn't stop there. You need to have somebody that is going to sponsor you and use their power again, to pull you along when you're not in the room. So we'll go quickly through a couple of examples of, okay, so what do you do now that I know I, like, I want to get sponsored? What do I do in that case? So my, my advice on this one would be, if you see someone who's naturally good at sponsoring talent, try to work on their team or get to know them. Um, sponsorship is not a zero-sum game for great leaders. Um, when someone's good at it with one person, they're probably good at it with others. Uh, Lori and I, you know. Agree. We, we, we both uh, probably had someone, you know, Dave Burwick, who played an instrumental role for many of us. And some of us, we reported to directly, some people we didn't, but he was just good at sponsoring, sponsoring talent. So whether you worked on his team or you got to know him in some capacity. So look for the people that are good at sponsoring talent and get to figure out how to work with them. Yeah. And, and one, um, maybe one last point that I'd make here is don't confuse somebody being nice to you with somebody being a sponsor. You know, it's not a Hallmark movie. Sponsors don't always look like you think they would look on TV. And I'll, you know, in my <laughs> case, I had two, two men who were, you know, wonderful sponsors of mine, but they were not, um, they were not my favorite people to work for. They pushed and they pushed and they pushed and they pushed and they pushed me. And so it wasn't always fun working for them, but it wasn't until years later that I think I realized that the reason they pushed me so hard was because they saw so much potential in me. And maybe they even saw that potential in me before I saw it in myself. So they pushed and they pushed, but then they were also pulling for me. So I would say there've been plenty of people who have been super nice to me, lovely to work for, and did not raise a finger to help me when they when I wasn't in the room. So don't mistake being nice 
for being a sponsor. And also don't mistake, just because somebody is mentoring you or coaching you doesn't mean that they're also sponsoring you. I would just say to everyone listening, be really clear in your mind about that distinction. That is such sound advice. You're right. Oh, I'm sorry. See, after no, no, I was going to say, senior people, and you should, you know, look, look, who have you sponsored? Look back at your your own tree, and who have you done? I mean, it's like it's like the analogy with the Super Bowl. They always look at the coaches, and they look down, look at their coaching tree, and be like, who have they impacted in the league, and who is a defensive coordinator, and who do they, who have they helped get to different yeah. places? Yeah, and be like, this person's now a CMO here, or they've gone here, and do they all look like you? Or are there different? genders, different, you know, you know, mm-hmm. skin colors or whatever. So look at, do your own self-assessment and what does your coaching tree look like? And now, that, yeah. that is so Kesey. It's like, look at that track record, right? Yes. And, and odds are they're good at sponsoring. And like you said, you know, they can sponsor many people. Let's rapid fire that list of six. All right. This, All right. this is, these are six golden gems. Mm-hmm. Well, but, <laughs> but this is what, one of the things that we, about the micro moments that we say is that the, to solve them, is that you have it's micro actions to solve them. It's, this is not, they're not, uh, you know, sure. you know, 20 years and $20 billion to solve it. So you solve them are very easy to solve it. So here's something that we tell people you can do in your meeting like this afternoon. Just here's like six of them. So I'll go through them quickly. One would be get to the meeting. If you're a boss, get to the meeting early and get a sense of the pre-conversation. Um, because if you get there late, the meeting starts when you start, you have no idea what they are talking about. If you get there early, you can be like, wow, it's two guys talking about the Eagles and no one else cares and whatever. Get there and you can help redirect the conversation so that involves a lot of people. Watch for the great idea, Greg. Again, if someone mm-hmm. an idea, you can be and help redirect it and be like, hey, that's a good idea. Hey, let's go back to Lori's idea. Um, on housework, be aware. who Who's who's setting up the next meeting, taking notes, getting the Zoom thing, IT support, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Again, rotate it and see who, who naturally raises their hand or who gets assigned that and make sure a guy is involved in that. One of my favorite is don't swear and then turn to a woman and say, pardon my French. Because to me, to me, what that says is like, we'd be having a lot more fun, but you're here. So, you know, we got to kind of, you know, delicate flower. Um, count the room and see how many, how many women are there, how many people of color, whatever. And know that those individuals are kind of the room. They're aware that they're one, they're the only person there or they're 10% of the people there. So, you know, do it through their eyes. And then the final one is like, look who's invited. Is it like, look around and be like, why wasn't like, why wasn't Lori and, and Katie here? And then make sure they're invited next, next week. So it just doesn't continue. So just in this afternoon, your next meeting, if you keep your, you know, look at yeah. this, you can make, you can make changes today. Uh, C and Lori, thank you so very much. I, I so enjoyed this conversation. And if you did, it doesn't stop here because you can buy their book. Why don't you smile more? How to dismantle gender inequity in the workplace. Um, thank you so much for everybody who listened today. I I know you are going to walk away with a ton of micro actions to tackle those micro aggressions. And thank you to Voice America for always giving us the opportunity at Next Step to shine the spotlight on incredible leaders like Lori and C., Um, but also to bring our mission to life. I'm Sarah Alter, your podcast host of Advancing All Women, and thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Advancing All Women with Next Up, 
Be sure to check out all the episodes on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.